Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 28 on page 988. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy, but test everything, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We come to the end of this very encouraging letter of First Thessalonians. We've been looking at it over the past two months. Uh, and what we've seen in this letter is Paul's heart for these people. He loved this church in Thessalonica. And that's something that he emphasizes over and over again in his letter. He missed them. <clears throat> he longed for an opportunity to return to their city, to visit them again. But until then, he wrote them with some very simple instructions, <clears throat> with some confident words of encouragement. He tells them over and over, keep doing what you're doing. Keep loving one another. Keep blessing one another. And stand fast. I've mentioned before, there's an amazing absence of imperatives in this letter. You know what imperatives are. Those are the commands. Those are the things that we read in the Bible. The imperatives tell us you must do this. You must not do that. They are commands from God. 1 Thessalonians, up to this point, has no commands. <clears throat> well, actually, there's two. Chapter 4, verse 18, and chapter 5, verse 11 are both commands to encourage one another. Did you know that you are commanded to encourage one another? Did you know that God expects you to obey Him by encouraging other people? That's a command. You, we, that's one of those we must do things. But other than that, there have been no commands in this letter at all. We get to the last section, there are 14 of them. <laughs> 14 of them all of a sudden, and they are fired at a very rapid pace. He says, admonish, encourage, help, be patient, rejoice, pray, give thanks. They come fast. It's almost as if Paul is looking at his sheet of paper that he's writing on and he sees there's only this much space left and he's got to get them all in there really, really quick. And so he throws all of these commands at us. I read these <clears throat> and I can't help but think of stories of kids leaving home for the first time and going out into the world. And there's always those half panicked instructions that your mother gives you as you're leaving home, right? And, and she's got all these instructions like, eat your vegetables, don't talk to strangers, um, you've got to wash your hands before a meal, and always wear clean underwear. I have a friend of mine, a friend of mine was, uh, when she was in college, was in a horrible accident. She had left her paralyzed. And as the emergency workers were laying blankets over the broken glass to, to get her body out of the vehicle, 
they thought she was gone. They thought there was no chance she survived this accident. And as they're pulling her out, she woke up and she said, my mother will be very happy. I'm wearing clean underwear. And, and that's when they knew Marilyn was going to be fine. That's when they, they knew she was going to be okay. She was wearing clean underwear. and She was, she was happy that she had made her mother proud. Uh, but these commands, those commands, they aren't an attempt to beat you up. They aren't an attempt to make you feel inadequate. Those are given in love. And so Paul has spent this entire letter telling these people that he loves them, reminding them of his love. And so we read this conclusion, these 14 commands, knowing that they are born out of love. And we read that for ourselves, knowing that this comes from God's heart. This comes from God's love for us. God wants the best for us. He wants us to be strong. He wants us to stand fast. And so as God sends us out into the world, His desire is for us to know His love and to be able to stand fast in His love. And so Paul shows us in this last little section, he shows us that we find unity when we stand fast. Paul began the letter with a call to unity. And here at the end, he returns to that. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, you, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. He says your goal was to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to love like Jesus, and to do that together. So what does that look like when it's lived out in community? What does that look like when it's lived out in the church? What should it look like here for us? So he begins this section with words about the leaders of the church. He says there in verses 12 and 13, we ask you brothers to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. He's describing the leaders of the church. He's describing the elders, although he doesn't use that word here. He doesn't use titles. He doesn't use positions. He uses verbs, action words. One of the biggest mistakes that the church has ever made is we turn verbs, action words, into nouns. We make titles out of stuff we're supposed to do. And when you turn a verb into a noun, it loses its impact. It loses its power. It doesn't do anything but wear a title. Many of you know, I do not like to be referred to as Pastor Brett. Because when people say pastor, they, they gasp. And, and there's a little bit of reverence. Don't even get me started on reverence. But I, you know, there's a little bit of reverence in their voice when they say pastor, you know. I, it's, it's a verb. It's supposed to do something. And, and first of all, it doesn't apply to me. It applies to these guys. It applies to our elders, scripturally. But it, it's a verb. It does something. It cares for the sheep. It cares for people. And if you divorce it from its verb and just make it a title, then it doesn't do a thing. So what verbs does Paul use when he talks about the leaders of the church? He says they labor among you. It's the same word he used back in chapter 1, verse 3, where he says it's a labor of love. Remember in chapter 1, verse 3, where he introduced faith, love, and hope? Those three together. He says they are over you. Now don't read that as oppressive. Don't read that as a, a power play. It can't be because it is a labor of love, right? And then he says they admonish you. That's a word we don't use much anymore, you know? 
No one said, well, I got admonished today. You know, no, no one does that. What does admonished mean? Eugene Peterson in the message, he changes it. He, he translates it as, uh, instead of admonish, he translates it by saying, they urge and guide you. That's a nice way of putting it. it, it it's a matter of discipline. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians. He writes 2 Thessalonians just a few months later because he realizes there are some problems in this church. For one, there are people who aren't doing anything. And their excuse for not doing anything, for not working, is, ah, Jesus is coming back anyway, so what difference does it make? Why should I provide a meal for someone if Jesus is just going to come back? You know, what if I'm halfway done with the meal and all of a sudden you know, we're out of here, Jesus comes back and I don't get to finish it? You know, that, that's going to be bad. So people were doing nothing. And, and Paul says in, in 2 Thessalonians 3.15, he says, warn him as a brother. Admonish him as a brother. Sometimes leadership is difficult. Sometimes we don't get our way, but never lose sight that this is a brother. This is a sister. We are family. That kind of unity, unity of heart, unity of purpose, unity in Christ, that kind of unity causes us all to stand fast. It starts in here, and it impacts out there. It starts in here with our relationships in here, and it impacts out there. And in the same way, if there is disunity or discord in here, it's also going to impact out there. It's going to be felt in the community as well. I have to tell you, we've got three wonderful guys, godly men, who serve as elders in this church. I talk to a lot of preachers. Something's happened to me. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but in, in November, in November, Gerald, it will have been 30 years since I started preaching out at Pleasant Hill Christian Church. 30, 30 years in November. When I started out at, at Pleasant Hill, uh, people just ignored me. You know, the, the, uh, the other preachers in the area, I was just this little punk kid in the area. Something's happened over the last 30 years. Some of it's here, the gray hair. But it's 30 years of doing it, 30 years of sticking with it, 30 years of some great experiences and some horrible experiences. But, but other preachers come to me and they tell me their horror stories. They tell me what's going on in their churches. They tell me what's happening with their leadership. They tell me how their guys don't back them up and that, that some bad things are happening. And, and then I tell them about our leaders. And they remind me how blessed we are. They ask me if they can have some of you guys. <laughs> they can't. You know, but they, 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 they remind me of just how blessed we are to have such wonderful, caring elders. And so Paul says here, respect them. You may not always agree with the decisions they make. That's okay. We don't have to agree on everything, but respect them. And he says, esteem them. Esteem them. Why? Why do you esteem them? Because of their position? Because of their power? No, he says, esteem them in love. Again, it's all about the verbs. Esteem them in love because they love you, so you love them. That's where unity starts. With a relationship of love that we have for each other. And Paul shows us here that when we do that, when we start there, we find strength as we stand fast together. The goal of unity is stability. That we're able to stand fast together. And when that happens... The result is each one of us individually is strengthened. Each one of us feels that strength. As we stand fast together, we support each other, we encourage each other, we admonish each other, 
we find within us the strength to stand through those individual difficulties, those rough times that we go through, and to look more and more like Jesus in our hearts, in our attitudes, and in our actions. If you notice back in verse 12, when he begins talking about the leadership and how you ought to treat the leadership, he says in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, we ask you. And it's, it's polite. It's a friendly request. It's like I might come to you and say, can you do me a favor? And because of our relationship, there's a little weight behind that favor, right? Because, because we take care of each other, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's, 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 a, it's a friendly request. We ask you to do this. Then he gets to verse 14. He moves from leadership and the way we ought to treat them to the way we ought to treat everyone, the way we ought to treat each other, how we work together, how we live together. And the language changes from we ask you to verse 14, we urge you. You hear the difference between ask and urge? There's authority behind what comes next. This isn't just about we're buddies, so you're going to do me a solid. This is Paul playing the apostle card. I'm an apostle. You're going to listen to what I have to say. So he says in verse 14, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. There are four imperatives in verse 14. Four commands in just that one verse. It is packed with them. And while I think it would be a very fun thing for me to just preach a sermon on that one verse and beat you over the head with every one of those commands and tell you why you're not doing it? I'm not going to do that today. I'm, I'm not going to have fun like that. Because instead, you've got to look at this verse and, and see what's at the heart of this verse. And at the heart of this verse are people. People who are hurting. There are people who are idle. They're not serving. They're not finding a place or a purpose in the church, and they're not finding something to do. They are weak. They are faint-hearted. They are timid and troubled. Do you remember in the passage we looked at last week? There were people who had lost hope because they believed that the dead, those who had died before Christ returned, that they were just lost forever. They thought they weren't going to be resurrected. They thought they wouldn't be in heaven. If you died before Christ returned, you were just lost. And these people were grieving. And Paul says to encourage the faint-hearted and the timid and the troubled he says, use the strength that you have found together to bless those who can't hold on by themselves. Use the strength that you found together to bless those who can't hold on by themselves. And then he, he ties it all together with one last command in that verse. And he says, be patient with them all. Be patient with them all. The word patient literally translates, and some of your Bibles reflect this, patience literally means long-suffering. Long, how long have you suffered with that person? Guess what? It's not long enough. Keep suffering with them. Be patient with everyone. You don't have the right to give up on anyone. We don't get to give up on anyone. And then he says in verse 15, <clears throat> see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. See to it that no one, no one repays anyone evil for evil. Yeah, 
but you don't know what he did to me. You don't know how he hurt me. And you know what? You're probably right. I don't know how he hurt you. But I do know what Jesus did for you. I know that he hung on a cross for you. And I know that when they spit on him and when they reviled him, when they mocked him, when they abused him, he stayed on that cross because he loves you. He didn't come down from there. He stayed there because he loves you. You don't get a pass. You don't get a pass on acting like Jesus just because you got your feelings hurt. Or worse. You don't get a pass. No one gets a pass on acting like Jesus. And did you notice in verse 15, the last half of verse 15, he says, seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Whenever you hear one another, that's other Christians. Every time he talks about love one another, be kind to one another, be patient with one another, he's talking about other Christians in in that part. Then he says, and everyone. And guess what that is? That's, that's everyone. This isn't just about people in here. It isn't just about how you're going to treat people in here. It's about the people out there also. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I'm getting really tired of Christians in their posts on Facebook, in their blog posts, and in sermons and in books... I'm getting really tired of Christians telling me who they don't have to love. And there are people out there who have lists. I don't have to love that person. I don't have to love that person because he's another religion. That's a Muslim. I don't have to love them. I don't have to love that person because they're a different orientation than me. So I don't have to love that person. I don't have to love, I don't have to love that person. They're a different nationality. That person's got an arrest record. I don't have to love that person. That person goes to another church. I don't have to love that person. Guess what everyone means? Everyone means everyone. Seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Because ultimately what Paul is showing us here for ourselves and for everyone is that we find God when we stand fast. We find God when we stand fast. These imperatives continue in verses 16 through 22. 16 through 22 goes beyond our relationship with our leaders. It goes beyond our relationships with each other. With each other, these verses address our relationship with God. And what I have to wonder is, would we ever get here without the other? Would we have ever gotten to verse 16 about our relationship with God if it wasn't for our relationship with our leaders, with each other? If we neglected those who are over us, those who admonish us, those who encourage us, those who we are patient with there are a lot of people who will tell you i don't need a church to be a good christian i can commune with god just as well out in the woods by a pond as i can sitting in a pew that's a fun thing to say but let me tell you the apostle paul would beg to differ with you the apostle paul would beg to differ with you on that he has given these commands what faithfulness to God looks like, they are born out of relationships. They are born out of a relationship in a church where we have leaders who admonish us and teach us and correct us and encourage us. They are born out of relationships with other Christians who who care for us, who encourage us. They are born out of these relationships. So he says in verse 16, Rejoice always. Verse 17, Pray without ceasing. 
Verse 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Let me just say this. Some people are very concerned about what the will of God is for them. Some people are very concerned about what God's will is for, my, for their life. Should I, should I take this job or should I take that job? You know, should I, should I do this or that? Should I move here or there? What is God's will for me? What does God have planned for me? If you're not starting with those three verses, you're not ready to move on to bigger questions. If you're not starting with these three verses, you're not ready to move on to the bigger questions. If you can't rejoice in the Lord always, if you can't pray through whatever circumstance you're going through, and if you can't give thanks no matter what is thrown your way, you're not ready to ask the bigger questions. The beautiful thing is you can stop asking. You can stop asking, what's the will of God for me in Christ Jesus? It's right here that you rejoice, that you pray, and that you give thanks. Start doing those and see where He leads you next. He goes on in verse 19. He says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Now amazingly enough, these are the only negative commands in this entire book. These are the only ones where he's saying, stop it. Don't do that anymore. Just stop doing it. And it's not just a warning. It's not that he's warning us, make sure you don't do this. They were already doing it. They were already quenching the Spirit. They were already despising prophecies. And so he says, stop doing these things. There might be things we're tempted to do as well. Stop quenching the Spirit. What does that mean? It might mean a lot of things. There might be a lot of things that we can do that quenches the Holy Spirit, that puts that spirit's, puts the Spirit's fire out in our lives, in our hearts, and, and even in our church. It might mean a lot of things. But there's one thing it has to mean. If Paul is true to himself, then we really need to go from here over to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. In Ephesians 4, 3, Paul says, make every effort, make every effort, effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Every effort? I'm not even going to ask you if you know what every effort means, but it it means every effort. Every effort. So whatever else quenching the Spirit might mean, the very first thing it has to mean is giving up the unity of the church. Giving up the unity that we have. If we're going to have unity, we need to be united on God's Word. We need to be united in God's, re- God's leading. The way we hear His Word. The way we read His Word. He does say there in verses 20 and 21, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. When you hear prophecies there, you may as well think of sermons as well. Do not despise sermons. Do not despise the Word of God as, it's, as it is brought to you. But he says, test everything and hold to what is good. You know what? Not every sermon, I don't know if you guys know this or not, not every sermon is good. I've, I've preached some stinkers from time to time. I've, I've preached some really bad ones. I've had people tell me, it's a bad sermon. I, I know. I, I have to live with it for a whole week. I know it's a bad sermon. I don't need you telling me that. But even in those ones that where we're like, what was that about? And, and I hear plenty. 
I'm kind of a sermon junkie. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I listen to a lot of sermons every week. Right? I have to listen to myself, so I listen to other guys too. And I hear some bad ones. I hear some good ones. But he says, hold fast to what is good. You've got to hear some bad things. You've got to hear some things that don't really apply and don't really connect with you. But he says, hold fast to what is good. And then he says in verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. Okay. Did you notice that's in the same paragraph as do not quench the Spirit? Did you notice that's in the same paragraph that that is also tied to the idea of quenching the Spirit? Abstain from every form of evil. This is also wrapped up in quenching the Spirit. What's your favorite form of evil? Anyone want to share? No? Okay. You got your favorite. Everybody's got their favorite. That, that one that you, you keep it in a box and you take it out and you, you, know, you play with kiss it and put it back in the box. You know, you got that one little form of evil that you just love to, you know. Sometimes it's gossip. I don't need to preach on gossip again, right? You guys know it's bad? Yeah. Sometimes it's gossip. Well, did you hear what he said? Do you know what he did? Do you know what they did? You know? That, that's a form of evil. He says abstain from every form of evil. Sometimes it's backbiting. Sometimes we just love to complain. We like to grumble. Oh, you don't believe what they're doing. You know? Do you hear what's happening over there? Do you know what they're doing? Do you know what they decided to do? Sometimes it's complaining. Abstain from every form of evil. That is quenching the Spirit. That is breaking the unity that we experience here. And for those forms of evil that you have that you think only you know about and nobody else knows that you do that, you do it in the privacy of your home. This is my own little form of evil and nobody knows about it. Guess what? It still affects what we do here. It still affects who we are here. So what he's saying is don't bring anything in here or in here that will stop God from bringing unity. Don't bring anything in here that will stop God from bringing unity. Now that seems like a very negative and difficult warning for Paul to end what has been such a positive letter. And so Paul doesn't end there. He ends the way we will. He ends with prayer. And he ends with a reminder that no matter what, we're still brothers and sisters. We're still family. We still belong to each other. We're still responsible for each other. We still have a responsibility to be patient with one another, to care for one another, to do good for one another. And so he says, treat each other as family. In fact, he says, don't just treat each other as family, you greet each other as family. And he says there, greet one another with a holy kiss. We're not going to do that today. Who am I to stop you if you want to? I mean, there it is. It is a command, by the way. It's there. Greet one another with a holy greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I want you to hear the heart of that. Because the heart of that has been throughout the entire letter. Chapter 1, verse 3, where he talked about your labor of love. Chapter 3, verse 12, he said, uh, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. Chapter 4, verse 10, he said, now about brotherly love, we don't even need to write you because you have learned from the Lord Himself how to love one another but we encourage you to do it more and more. 
We are brothers and sisters. I belong to you. You belong to me. So let's stand fast together. I'm going to ask you to stand fast with me right now. Just stand. You don't have to stand fast. Just stand. If it takes you a little while longer to get up, that's okay too. We're going to read the last few verses. Chad, if you put the first one, first slide up there on the screen. I want to read this together uh, as a closing prayer, part of our closing prayer. Uh, these are the closing words to 1 Thessalonians 5. I want to read them aloud. I'm going to have to tell you, I want to read these aloud together. Sometimes when we do this, you mumble. Uh, don't mumble. This is the Word of God. We're going to read them, read these words together as part of our closing prayer. Let's read. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Let's pray.